just to Matthew chapter 24, or verse, we'll begin with verse 23. Chapter 24, a very important, a very important chapter, uh, I think very greatly misunderstood, very much greatly unappreciated as to the very practical nature of its teaching, but a teaching most necessary, as it tells us about the end of uh, things in Palestine for, for the Jewish people of that day. Jesus' day, and also uh, going right into the end of the age, the end of this church age, the end of the world. Matthew 24, verses 23 through 28. But I will begin in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has never been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Thus far, reading God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. All flesh is as grass and as beauty as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you. Now, by God's grace, I'll be preached. Please have a seat. When I was in seventh grade, I had a friend. And his friend, uh, he was also Cuban, by the way. He was Cuban-American. His name also was Lewis. But you'll never guess who he is, so I can say that much. Lewis loved to play baseball with Lewis. That's all we did in seventh grade. Lewis, not me, the other Lewis, had a beautiful baseball glove. Have you ever seen one that's really well-built? I mean, nice leather, it's oiled, fits the ball in there like a glove if you don't mind the pun. We were getting back, we were going home to his house after a little bit of baseball. And I don't know, I don't know how we got on the subject of the second coming. <laughs> now, we were both Catholic young men. We, we were both in parochial schools, but he went to the better one. He, he was going to a, a really fine prep school, a military prep school, and they had good teachers there. And they taught all kinds of things. And they taught about eschatology up in the end times. And he volunteered this. I don't ask me why. 
He says, you know, you know, Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back after a thousand years of peace. I said, what? Truly? He says, yeah, he's not coming back until there's a thousand years of peace. And so we better get our act together because it's going to take a while for us to work out a thousand years of peace and then he'll come back. I thought, well, uh, that's, good to, that's, that's good to remember. That's good to remember. Thank you for that. And that was all I remember of that, of that conversation. Seventh grade, glove in hand, two Lewises talking about the second coming. But we didn't know what we were talking about. We didn't know at all about what we were talking about. Folks, we need to know what we're talking about here. And the next parable he's going to load on us here, the Lord Jesus, Matthew 25, we have to know enough about what's going on to be ready. And it's awful, it's very difficult to be ready when your mind is on baseball and you think you've got a thousand-year clip before anything really significant is going to change. That's not the teaching of Scripture. Nothing in the Word of God makes us lazy, idle, worldly. Nothing excuses our march to heaven. And if eschatology is making you a sleepy version, or shed it, or trash it, you need to wake up. That's not the teaching. The teaching here in Matthew 24 is very practical. It's full of warnings. And more, but more so since we have the, the, the very truth of history checking the facts of what really happened when Jerusalem went down. And that, my friends, is the earnest that whatever is coming, that also is coming down. The teaching here is as follows. Um, although immediately preceding, or although immediately preceded by great trials and great tribulation, the second coming of the Lord Jesus will take place suddenly and unmistakably at the end of this age. And there should be no confusion in the mind of a believer whether the second coming of Christ has taken place. Let me read that again. Uh, by the way, the proposition, we're saved by believing propositional truth. That's what I mean by a proposition. It's a statement, a declarative statement. You believe it, you honor the Lord by it, you ask for his blessing, and it, it actually sanctifies you. We're sanctified by truth, and that's why I place truth claims in the proposition and in your outline. Believe those, God will bless you, and that is sanctifying to you. Proposition, although immediately preceded by great trials and great tribulation, the second coming of the Lord Jesus will take place suddenly and unmistakably at the end of this age. And there should be no confusion in the mind of a believer whether the second coming of Christ has taken place. Okay, first point of the sermon. Well, let me condense that and say that Christ's second coming will be sudden and unmistakable. If you take that, that's the digest. That's the digest. Christ's second coming will be sudden and it'll be unmistakable. First point. Jesus will return during a period of intense tribulation. We can recap all of this that we have read from verses 1 through 22. I will not take time this morning. Please do that. You have all the Lord's Day in which to relish this chapter and any other chapter of Scripture that you want. Tribulation increases as birth pangs, uh, by way of analogy. The birth pangs of a woman get more and more intense. They get more and more frequent. The, the, the periodicity uh, shortens. A woman in labor, about to give uh, childbirth. All of the elect will be saved, however. And despite however many books are written by this, 
we are told in this chapter very plainly, this is, by the way, this is not, this is not, it deals with the apocalypse, but it's not apocalyptic literature. This is still narrative, and narrative determines our doctrine. Apocalyptic literature does not establish doctrine. Narrative informs the apocalyptic literature. You can't form a theology of the end times by beginning with the book of Revelation. That's nonsense. Okay? You go to what is clear, and this chapter is clear. All of the elect will be saved through tribulation. Okay? And John 16, verse 33 is very plain. I've said these things to you, disciples, that in you, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, verses 33. Okay? In the world, you will have tribulation. We need to reconcile this. Jesus is stealing his disciples. That is to say, he's, fortify he's fortifying them. He's giving them iron in the blood. He's stiffening their spines that they might be soldiers erect. Keep their stand. We need to resolve that in good times and bad times, we will be the Lord's because he will return. And we do not know through what fire or what flood of waters or what through sword and blood we may have to go to. And if you know your church history, I know it's very uncomfortable to read church history. It's full of mistakes. It's full of glory, too. We need to know that this has certainly been the case and is still being the case among the persecuted Christians throughout all of the world. There are plenty of examples of that. Jesus will return during a period of intense tribulation. Second point, Jesus' second coming will feature no heralds as we saw him in the Gospels, that is to say. The only heralds we have today are the messengers, the preachers that are going out, missionaries, preachers. These are God's heralds. The apostles were heralds. The evangelists were heralds. The early prophets of the New Testament, they were heralds. Pastor teachers are heralds. But the forerunner concept, as, as in John the Baptist, that is warning the people that of his imminency, of his imminency, look, there is the Lamb of God. After me comes one, I'm not worthy, I'm not, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. Nothing of that, of the eminency of Christ will be heralded, is what I'm saying. The, the, the outline doesn't really convey my thought very nicely. Nothing of, of his first appearance, which was heralded. Jesus' arrival will not be, as in the days of his humility. It will not be as in those days. John the Baptist, you know, he's there warning the people. Behold the Lamb of God. And make, make straight those pathways. Every mountain will be leveled. Every, every plane will be exalted. Come on. He's, he's, he's right at the door. He's right at the gate. All of the Old Testament prophets also pointed to Christ in the same way. But now, in the coming of his flesh, his word is complete. Especially upon his dying, giving the Holy Spirit to his apostles. And they, they really didn't come up with any new doctrine, my friends. They only, re, they only re repeated what Christ taught them in the days of his flesh. The word of God is complete. We need no more, no more instruction, no more prophecy about his coming, his second coming. And that's to say, because the gospel age today features faith, not sight. And in Jesus' day, you could see 
the God-man, not his divinity. You could intuit that if you were very sharp spiritually. People did. But you had at least the sight of the Savior. He is incarnate. He was a man. If you see Christ visibly at his second coming, and you are not at peace, and you have not seen him by eyes of faith, by spiritual eyes, you will not be justified and saved. It is too late. The day of salvation is done. And the curtain has parted, and you see Christ as he is. He's the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was veiled in humanity. And then he will be revealed at his second coming. Then he will be revealed in glory. And uh, there's no mistake in that, okay? Localized places, as in his earthly ministry, there he is in the Jordan, there he is in, the, in Galilee, there he is in Nazareth, it's no longer apply. That's why the scripture says, don't say these things. Look, he's in the wilderness. Look, he's in the inner rooms. No wonder you can't see him. He's inside the house. You've got to go in there. Not everybody can get in there, but he's in there. Nonsense. Don't, 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 don't believe that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff was getting, beginning to be more and more prevalent as the Jews saw their really dire predicament at the close of the Jewish age and as AD 70 approached. I, I, I would advise you to, to banish the word look as seeing something with your natural eyes from any eschatology book. It's a matter of seeing. It's a matter of believing until he arrives, and then no one will need to tell you to look. The imperative will not. You won't need it because you will, just as you, as you rubberneck in a, in a bad accident, no, no, they're, they're, they're telling you, don't look, yeah, drive. No, you will rubberneck when you see the Lord. That's one teaching. False witnesses, though, will direct hearers to specific geographic locations. A very parochial, because that's, you know, finite man, that's all he can, that's all he can uh, manage. False prophets, they have to, they're finite, so they can only manage a certain group of people in, in a place and a time, so they're interested in manipulating and leading falsely. So they will direct leaders to specific geographic locations. Look, here he is. Look, there he is. But the only look you have, my friends, is to the exalted, victorious Lord Jesus at the right hand of God. And that's done with a spiritual look. And if you don't know what that is, let's talk. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to another Christian next to you. What do you mean? What do you mean, look at the the exalted, the Lord Jesus. What do you mean by Jesus exalted at the right hand of God? What do you mean by looking? That's your exercise now. You need to look. I'm directing you to look with spiritual eyes. Because if you don't, you will perish in your sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And a look to him as a Savior saves you and cancels all your debt of sin and covers it in his blood. And that's the gospel good news, my friend. The third point, Jesus will return immediately after a period of great deception. Jesus will return immediately after a period of great deception. Do you understand what I'm saying by propositional truth? I'm laying out statements. If these are in the Bible, these word truths sanctify and protect you. They, they are saving it's just not a, it's, this is not a sermon outline. These are propositional biblical truths that you are to believe and rest in if you find them to your good conscience in Scripture. Jesus will return immediately after a period of great deception. Many, many will be looking 
at this time especially, or the end of the Jewish days, for a promised Savior of the world. How could we possibly have missed? Count again. Check all the bags. As uh, Joseph instructed his sons there, as they were leaving Egypt, somebody's got my golden cup. Check everything and check the check sum again and again. How could we have missed Messiah? And now all of this absolute ruination has come upon us. So they'll be looking. They'll be looking very intensively. And some in their zeal will be uh, overreach. Deceptive hopes of salvation will appear. False Christs, and not a few. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. False prophets pointing to false gods. False prophets pointing to the true God, but in error. Describing a way that is not true. Describing a Christ that is not the Christ of the scriptures. Oh, he's a savior, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. You cannot, you cannot take the divine son of God and strip him of his lordship. He is, he has all authority in heaven and earth today. He is certainly Lord. And whether you like it or not, he is your Lord for salvation or he's your Lord unto your condemnation, but he's Lord. And every knee must bow and every, te- and every tongue will confess, but not every tongue will confess savingly. False Christs will appear. False prophets will appear throughout the church age, especially in the, in the, uh, towards the end of the Jewish age. And these will seem, very, very much so, they will seem by the evidence of the eye, by the hearing of the ears, but without discernment, without the discerning help of the Holy Spirit, without discerning the, the truth of the Word of God, the understanding, the right understanding, not just the understanding or knowledge of Scripture, but the right understanding of Scripture. Without that these will seem to be authentic signs. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 um, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Propositional truth as to who Christ is and his person and his titles and attributes his works. You will not be saved looking to the phenomenon of the signs and wonders. It's too late. Signs and wonders were to point to the truths as they are established in the Word of God. But now that the Word of God has been established, those signs and those wonders are no longer necessary, nor will they point to anything necessarily. You have to rely on the Word and its meaning and its understanding rather than signs and wonders. Because these signs and wonders will point to false Christs and false gods. False religious leaders perform great signs and great wonders. Revelation 13. Uh, The beast, I think, is talking in the narrative, performs great signs, even fire coming down from heaven to earth in front of the people. By the signs that are allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Uh, that's symbology in the book of Revelation, very dark, not as light and lucid as our passage here, but alluded to, alluding to the same truths. Great wonders, great signs. Be ready. They will not point to what you think they're pointing. 
All points are on Christ now. No other signs and wonders are needed for that. So great are these signs and wonders as to lead, if possible, the elect. So brace yourself. Brace yourself. This is a trial. This is a test. You know, we fail in temptation so easily. Don't you think we ought to be very concerned that when a greater, a much greater temptation comes that we hold up? We need to be in prayer. We need to be watchful. Jesus affirms then his prescience, his foreknowledge here. He says, look, I've told you. I've told you. Isaiah 44, the same way. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared the things to be? And you are my witnesses. And is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I don't know of any. Jesus is saying, I am saying these things because I am divine. And these things are certain. I've told you. Signs and wonders. I'm going to repeat it. There's so much confusion here. It seems like half of the churches in the so-called evangelical churches that are really growing are all charismatic Pentecostal signs and wonders, stuff like that. Half of the fastest growing churches are all of, that, of, this, of this ilk. But I will say again, signs and wonders confirmed by the truth of Scripture as it is being written. Signs and wonders were to verify the truth of the record of God, which is not complete. But now that that word is perfect, then none of this is necessary. In fact, the word is to inform you of the nature of the signs and wonders. You are to test the spirits, every spirit, by the word doctrine, by the truth, and not by the strength, not by uh, the phenomena itself. We are not central creatures. We are spiritual creatures with a discernment. We are not to be moved mechanically by phenomena. We are to be moved spiritually by faith, bringing every thought captive to Christ. Discern the spirits by the word, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Point four. Jesus will return very suddenly. No heralds are needed. He's coming back quick as lightning in the blink of an eye. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52. Oh. I have omitted. Well, I just quoted it. <laughs> I just. Paul says we'll all be changed. We who remain will be changed. Those who, those who are in the Lord and are asleep, they, they will rise first. But those who remain, we, we, will, we will be caught up. But we will be, we'll be changed in a flash, in a blink, in a quick. It's just that fast. You know, the muscle here that I'm told that controls the blink, it's got a very fast twitch. Anything's coming at your eye, that muscle kicks in, it's autonomous. It's amazing how quick you can blink. And Paul knew something about that. He must have been hanging around with Luke or something. Looks like, I'm going to show you something. East to west, lightning flashes. Now we, call it, we may call it heat lightning. In some places, I, I'm told there's no, no such thing as heat lightning. It's a discharge, uh, 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 it's a discharge of electricity. Finds a path somewhere. This, this lightning is interesting because it's going east to west. Okay? And not going down. Going down might point to a, a certain spot, like, like that star in Bethlehem is, is hovering over, uh, over Bethlehem, over the manger. It's pointing down. 
this lightning, no. East-West, and where is East and where is West? It, it, it's a vast space. It covers all space. It's not vertical. Clouds to earth, not localized. There will be nothing subtle about Jesus' second appearing. No guesswork. There is no secret second coming where he's going to snatch up. Snow. Oh, by the way, how? why are some of the churches empty? Where are all the people? There were some people driving the cars, and the cars smashed because the drivers were gone. It's a mystery. We don't know what happened. Nothing like that. It's, it's not going to be that way. No, nothing subtle, no mysteries, no, no riddles. There's no riddles here. This is clear. This is Matthew 24. This is not apocalyptic literature, although it deals with the end. The end times doctrine is not a riddle to be solved. I heard it, you know, my, you know country preachers in, in Kentucky. I, I've unraveled revelation. Sounds good, but man, it's even bad prose. I don't know why they say that. Nothing subtle about today is the day of salvation, repent. Nothing subtle about believe in the Lord Jesus, believe the narrative of his person, his work. Nothing subtle about Elijah coming or John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist subtle? No, he says, make way. Here he is. Messiah is coming back in glory, not in humiliation. And so he's coming back very suddenly. And you need to be know you need to know that. You need to know that. Jesus, of course, my last point, point five, is that Jesus will return when the corruption of this age is full. I I know it may be hard for us, and I know it's hard for me, to conceive of why God would want to wait to ripen the world in rottenness. But it appears that this is what the teaching of the text is, that he's going to ripen the world. He's topping off the vessels of destruction. He, he, he's topping, he's leveling out as you do, you know, you have one of those, those knives that level out for a measuring cup. Make sure you've got, make sure you've got a half a cup of flour to level it off. Exacting justice at the exacting point of time. And this is the enigmatic statement here, wherever the corpses, the, the vultures will gather. The corruption is such that the, that the world is already dead and putrefying, and, and it, uh, it's only natural that those unclean birds descend and have their feast. It's a world of dead corpses. It's ready to be consumed. That's what I get out of that statement. And vultures are unclean birds, and they're, they're devouring unclean, dead, and slain. They don't even get a decent burial. That's the curse of God on the world that loves rot. Uh, let me just say, no, no one is going to be saved if they love holiness. No, one, no one's going to be saved if they, if, they, if they love the Lord's righteous instructions and are... are, are persevering in the spirit to put away that which is, they hate in themselves, they sin, they hate sin, they, they hate themselves and they, you aggravate the sin in yourself, you, you pour contempt on your own performance as a Christian. God is, God is near a humble and contrite spirit. That's not the spirit of a Pharisee. 
The Lord doesn't want to terrify you here. He's wanting you to be ready. But he wants you to know that it's only, it's only right that God, who judges rightly, will certainly judge a world that loves rottenness and leave them in their rottenness. God is yet, however, forbearing with the simple world until the vessels of wrath are ready. And then he will present. Now he's also, he's also waiting for all of the elect to shed their weight of sin and turn to Christ and be healed. He's, he's waiting that all come to faith and repentance. He's, he's very patient. And of course, you know, in his decree, all will come. And that's the, glorif- that's the beautiful thing about God. What he has decreed in time past will certainly come about. And it'll come about in time. The church will see it. The angels will see it and rejoice. Now, however, is the time to be saved, to look to the Savior by faith. Now is the time to look for the one who is the solution to sin and misery, to separation from God, to eternal reconciliation with God. Now is the time to become strong Christian soldiers in complete armor. No, no kinks, no, nothing where you can take a dart. That's the job of the ministry, to equip the saints unto the work of ministry and to fit the soldier, Christ's soldier, in every bit of armor. That's what we are doing. And in this church, by God's grace, I hope we are doing this. Are you availing of the means of grace? Are you availing of the ministry of the word that God has given you in this place and time? Are you sure that you are outfitted for the great tribulation ahead of you? Are you vanquishing temptation? How often are you how often are you ridding Satan and he's fleeing when you resist? Or do you fall easily to temptation? Today is the time where we need to learn to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. You are to engage the ordained means of grace diligently. But if you've already made up your mind, oh, no, you know, I'm safe, I'm justified, uh, all this you know, exhortation. I, I don't know where he's getting this stuff. Besides, I don't want to be Presbyterian, okay? If you're already compromised, if you've got a kink in your armor, if you're idle, if you're drowsy, if you're sleepy, if you're asleep, you're ready to fall away. You need to shake up the loins of your faith, wake up, run the race, shedding every weight of sin. And we conclude, although immediately preceded by great trials and great tribulation, the second coming of the Lord Jesus will take place suddenly and unmistakably. There will be no confusion in the mind of a Christian whether the second coming has taken place. Now, I'm going to give you some comfort here. The Lord wants to build you up, and he will build you up. It's certain that he can build you up in the knowledge and in the character of Christ. But I want you to understand that salvation is nearer to you than, when, than you may know. The Lord can return any time. And that should be a wonderful thing. It's like saying, 
look, I, we forgot, but Valentine's Day is tomorrow, and we're going to have a, we're going, we're going out to supper, and I have a gift for you, and I think it's going to be better than chocolates. It's Valentine's Day. Salvation is, is closer to you, and when your, your love, your beloved Lord shows up, you will exalt greatly, and you will be as those mothers that have writhed in pain at the labor of their child, but when they see their child, they rejoice exceedingly. For a child has been born, and it was all worth it. It was all worth it. So have that mindset. Your beloved Lord is coming back, and you can greet him as he will greet you with an embrace. Well, I know you stink like Esau, and you're scared of, uh, and Jacob is scared of Esau, but you know what they embraced? The Lord is able to make peace by the blood of Christ. He will welcome you at his return. Are you alive to God, though, in Christ? Are you eagerly awaiting his return, or are you scared stiff? I go, I don't know. I better avoid, I don't know. If he's coming back that soon, I, I better, I, 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 let's eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow we die. I'm doomed. So let's raise hell on earth. Are you already dead in sins and trespasses, waiting to feed the vultures? That's very graphic. But that's Jesus talking. Okay? There's only one second coming. There's no mistaking it. There are no multiple comings of Jesus, especially no multiple second comings. That, that's just not even possible. Obviously, it has not taken place. You can strike out one option in Reformed theology about what happened in Jerusalem and all that. Flea teaching that contradicts the plain teaching of Scripture. Beware of deception of lawless men. False prophets will always play to your security. Well, if we do, if we do this, uh, people will be offended. If, if we preach repentance, who wants that? They want to know that God loves them and that, the, and that they're, when, they're die, when they die, they're going to go to heaven. Anything beyond that, you're going to scare people. If you correct people, as the Bible says, correction, reproof, training, and righteousness, they're not going to get angry. They're going to leave the church. I don't know. I don't know if they will. So I think the elect will bless you and say, you love me enough to risk me leaving. You love me enough to tell me the truth. And when I was stubborn, you did not back off and you reminded me. I don't know how you did that. Because I had in mind to hurt you. Okay? Now, my friends, if you have the Holy Spirit, you already have the comfort, and you already have the full assurance that everything that is in this chapter uh, is, is verily true. Second uh, Peter 3, verse 17 following. You therefore, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Just be careful. Weigh everything by scripture. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your stability. Don't lose your rudder in the storm. Don't. You've got ballast in the ship already. You've got a nice keel. Be careful with the reefs. Don't lose your keel. The wind is still blowing at 30 knots. You're going to tip. 
And in this storm, if you tip, you, well, you lost your stability. Let Peter describe that to you in your, in your own time reading. I don't want to be in danger of drowning in that storm. Always be ready for the Lord. One time Augustine, after having, in his early years, lived as a, a playboy. That word was not, it's anachronistic. It was invented back then. But he lived, he lived as, a, as a hedonist, a pleasure-seeking womanizer. He found the Lord. He found grace. He turned. He repented. And he was changed. He, he was born again. And he was sanctified. And he, he, he became a, a wonderful teacher in the church. And he was the one who greatly preached grace. So much so that some of his people that didn't really understand the doctrine of grace, I said, well, Augustine, uh, if the Lord is so gracious to you, then why don't you, you know, you, you know you have a bent to love women. Why don't you just go ahead and find it, just express it, just go ahead and do it. And Augustine said, well, you know, I, I don't want to do that. Because it may be that even in the very act, the Lord would come back. In that act, the Lord would return. And I would see him. And I would say, Lord, what can I say? What can I say? That's what Augustine replied. I think he knew, I think he understood grace. But he certainly understood love to the Lord. Against the next, next time up, uh, I hope to preach the parable of the ten virgins. I'm going to get a, a repeat of the, of the same treatment. For now, let me leave you in the sure way. The sure way, just a, a quick reading of Second Peter 1. For this reason, make every effort to, to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, this is the sure way, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, roughly verses 2 through 11. Believe that. Believe on the Lord Jesus, the Savior of mankind. Believe that his blood cleanses, forgives, covers sin, so that your sins are not imputed to you. They are imputed to God who in Christ. Uh, they're imputed to Christ in God on the cross, who is made for us wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. He's all you need in this life and the next for peace with God and eternal security. Now, my friends, beyond this exhortation, we have a gift from the Lord and that he's reminding us in his memorial table of his love for us, that he indeed died for you, for me, 
He gave himself completely that we might be completely saved. And he will meet us here and minister as he's promised. Will the elders please come forward? This is a sacrament. It's a holy ordinance. And God has a view to what he himself declares as holy. And he gives us the sacrament that we might remember. Remember his most indescribable gift to us, Christ the Savior. We want, him. We want to honor him. We want to show that he is wise and be obedient and partake. He does tell us to eat and to drink. But he tells us to eat and to drink knowing that for sure that he's died for us particularly. So this is a sacrament for Christians. It's not a sacrament for, for, for Presbyterians alone. If you've been baptized, if you can point to a shepherd who has been an overseer of your soul in the church, and if you are confident going forward that you desire this Savior as he's given himself to you here and you as far as you know are willing to abide by his teaching and go forward though you do so very 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 imperfectly you know you sin you wish you didn't you know there's much righteousness to be done and, and to be gained you long for it, you hope for it, you want to be holy. This is for you. It's food. It's nutrition. It's real spiritual drink. And it's really Christ. It's really Christ. Here. So let us pray that the Lord will set this table, the boundaries of which are closed to all Egyptians and earthlings. That is to say, left behind, no Passover, no Christ. But if you've passed over with Moses and Jesus under the blood of that lamb, this is that same lamb. This is the Passover. This is for you. Let's pray. Now these ordinary elements, bread and wine, Lord, they can appear so common as to, for us to think nothing special. But this is special, because by your word, it's made special, and by thanksgiving. We pray that by your word, this bread and this blood, this, this wine would be for us, Christ himself, flesh and blood. Remind us, Lord, in every way, and help us to check our own spirits, 
to know that this is nutrition for us. Help us not to sin presumptuously in advance upon this table, thinking that so lightly of sin that we can proceed and not grieve the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would not grieve you. We pray, Lord, that we would delight you and that we would delight in you as this is a holy communion. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yes. 